Let us turn to God's Word. Uh, so if you have your Bibles today, please open them to 1 John. We are in chapter 1, starting in verse 5 in Merrily. We'll be reading our passage uh, for this morning. Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 John 1, 5 through 2, 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light in him. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So before I became a pastor, my plan was actually to be a t-shirt model <laughs> for all the obvious reasons. And um, <laughs> I got here and I realized I'm wearing blue from like head to toe. I don't think any of these blues match in any way, but here I am. This is how I fill out a t-shirt right here. This is all you get. So you can, you can only look better than this, is the, I think what, the point we're trying to make at the, at the picnic. First uh, John, uh, we started uh, last week. We're going to do a fall series on this letter. First John, it's a letter written by the Apostle John to probably a group of house churches around uh, the area of Ephesus. And last week we looked at why John writes this letter. He tells us actually in the final chapter, this is chapter 5, he says... Uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants people to have a sense of assurance and confidence that they have eternal life. And so last week we began by just talking about what is eternal life? What, is, what does John mean by that phrase and that reality of eternal life? And I argued that John means eternal life is nothing more and nothing less than fellowship with the one true God and fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. And so last week we looked at this, I, I called it the eternal dance, this eternal fellowship that the father and son have had from the very beginning along with the Holy Spirit. Uh, this dance out of which all of reality was created. And the good news is that through faith in Jesus, we can be invited into the fellowship of the father and the son. This is what Jesus says in John 14. Uh, my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. 
Gosh, we got all sorts. We got crickets already. We've got an alarm going off. There must be something really important we're supposed to hear this morning. Um, this is the good news, that the, the eternal, glorious, beautiful fellowship between Father and Son wants to make a home in us, and we get to be a part of that fellowship of love and joy. And so John is writing to, to give people an assurance that you can know that you have this kind of eternal life living within you. And I'll just say up front, you know, John, his goal is to give us a sense of confidence and assurance. And he has, I think, an interesting way of trying to give us an assurance. And I was trying to think of an analogy this week. Um, so my, my middle child just started AYSO soccer for the first time this fall. So she, we just went to her game yesterday. And I was thinking, as a parent, there's two ways you can try to give your kid a sense of assurance and confidence that they're like a real soccer player, okay? And I'm not actually saying one's better than the other, but one would be, no matter how bad they are, you just keep, oh, honey, you're, you're amazing. You're such a good soccer machine, touchable, great kick, honey, right? Like, you hear parents do this. Like, you're awesome. You're the best. They're horrible, but like, it doesn't matter, right? You're doing great. You can try to give them that sense of assurance and confidence. That's a way to do that. Um, the other way to do that would be to begin to try to equip your child um, to play soccer well, to practice with them, to train them, to help them know how to pass and kick and trap. And so that over time, they actually start playing soccer and they observe themselves playing soccer and scoring goals. And they conclude, wow, I, I really am a soccer player. And, and whatever you think of either of those strategies, John kind of opts for the second strategy, okay, in 1 John, to give us a sense of assurance and confidence. This, is, this book is not really a theological pat on the back too much, though there is some of that. He's more like, let me show you what, when eternal life is in you, the kind of life that emerges when you're in fellowship with God and his son, the kind of things you begin to do, the kind of ways you live your life, so that I want to help you step into that, so that as you're doing that, you'll observe yourself and you'll go, wow, this is real, this is authentic, I really, I really am a follower of Jesus Christ. That's kind of the strategy for the most part that John opts for. And again, I'm not saying either is right or wrong, but that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to see mainly in John's letter. And last week I ended by saying the two kind of ways that we know is that we're living lives of light and living lives of love. Because God is light and God is love. And so fellowship with him means living lives in the light and living lives of love. Those are going to be the two main ways we we see that we have eternal life is that we're living those out. All right? So this morning we're going to look at that first one. What does it mean to live a life of light? And I want to ask that question today. Um, what does it mean to live in the light? And I want to remind us of this beautiful gospel truth that I think all of us may need to hear this morning. And the beautiful gospel truth is this. We are children of light in Christ. And that means we don't have to hide anymore. We do not have to hide. In Christ, we can come out of hiding and step into the light of God's forgiveness and grace. And so that's the message that we're going to consider this morning, all right? So let's look at our passage today. It begins in verse 5, and John makes this fundamental statement about who God is. Let me read it. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. The statement is, God is light. I assume that's some kind of a, a metaphor and an image And I think light is intended to convey at least two things. One is this. 
To say that God is light is to say that God is truth, right? Light reveals truth. God is 100% truth. In him, there is no deceit. There's no falsehood. There's no lying. He is 100% truth. And I assume that also means that God is 100% holiness. He is 100% goodness. So to say that there's no darkness in him means there's not a trace of wickedness or sin or evil, just pure goodness. Who is our God? This unchanging God that Nick's talked about at the beginning, in whom there are no shadows, right? Well, he is 100% truth, and he is 100% goodness. And he is the source of all that is true and good in this world. That's who our God is. And so I had this image in my mind this, this week of an image of like a sunrise, right? Like God is like the sun, right? And you, you picture at night, you can't really see things as they actually are. You can't quite see the truth. And then the sun comes up and it reveals truth. It is the truth and it shows us the truth. And that's what God does. And also at night, things are cold, right? It's dark and it's cold. And then the sun comes out and it brings warmth and life. It reveals and it brings its warmth and life. And that is who our God is. And John in his letter has an interesting perspective on the times we're living in. If you go to, um, look at verse 8 of chapter 2. It ends this way. I'll I'll put it up here on, on this image. He says this. The darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Okay, John has, an, has a, a perspective on the times we're living in. It's this, Jesus Christ, the light has come. And what that means is now we are living in the dawn of a new day. There's an old order of things. It's kind of still here, but it's passing away. And the new kingdom of God is already here and it's coming. And one day, the light will come when Jesus returns. But for, the, for, the, for now, we're living at the dawn of a new day. And we are to live in light of the dawn and the the daytime, not in light of the night anymore, right? This is the time we're living. This is who our God is. So if that's who God is, God is light, um, then, oops, oh, you saw it too quickly. Um, Then what does fellowship mean with him? Well, it means that we, as his people, we walk in the light. We walk towards the light that is God. Look at our our verse, our our passage. Look at verse 6, chapter 2. Since God is light, well, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, I have this image of some walkers walking. I'm going to pretend that's a sunrise. I don't know if that's a sunrise or a sunset, but let's pretend that's a sunrise. Um, And, uh, I'm using that image of walking because that's what John says, right? If uh, we should walk in the light. And that's the New Testament metaphor for life is we walk around. We, we go about our days. We walk in and out of our days and we're walking around. And John says we want to walk in the light, right? So for the rest of our time, I want to talk about here are the two ways that John invites us to walk in the light. Like what does that actually mean to walk in the light, John? How do we do this? He gives us two ways to do that. Um, The first is this. How do we do this? Um, Well, we keep his commands, (laughs) simply put. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we do what? 
if we keep his commands. Look at verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus lived. So, well, that's how we walk in the light. God is light. We want to live in ways that are in line with who God is, is his goodness and his truth. We want to avoid living in ways that are out of line with him in the darkness and live in light of who he is. All right, let's get kind of concrete and practical for a second, okay? So Paul uses this image of light a lot. He gives us lots of examples of what dark living looks like versus light living. All right, so let me just give you some verses here. Um, What is this? Oh, yeah, this is Paul. Good, phew, I got nervous there. All right, Uh, this is Ephesians 5. Um, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And find out what pleases the Lord. Now he's going to give us some examples of darkness and some examples of light. Um, I barely need to comment. I mean, these these verses are so convicting. (laughs) Among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of greed. Why? Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. In Galatians, he mentions other things like jealousy, anger, gossip, drunkenness. These are ways of the darkness. And I'm sitting there this week reading these things, and I'm like, shoot. (laughs) Like, these are issues in the American church today. Like, these are real issues in this room right now. In our hearts right now, drunkenness, that is a real issue in our church, okay? I mean, whether you're an alcoholic or not, there's a lot of people in this church that are overserved all the time. That's a real issue. Paul mentioned sexual immorality. <laughs> that is a real issue in this room right now. Pornography, sexual activity outside of marriage. Paul mentions greed. Well, shoot. I mean, that's a massive issue, in the church today. Jealousy, yeah, gotcha. Anger, yes. Gossip, yes. Right, all of these things. And Paul is saying, um, as children of light, we're moving away from those things. We're moving towards a different kind of life. Here's the, the life that we're moving towards. Things like love, things like joy, things like peace, and thanksgiving, and contentment, and sobriety, and humility, and kindness, and generosity. Those are summations of Galatians 5 and Ephesians 5. So again, we're walking towards the light. And here's what I want to say, and what's going to become clear, is Paul is not looking, or John is not looking for perfection in the Christian life. We're going to find that out in just a second. But he's talking about a trajectory. The trajectory of our lives is entirely away from the darkness, and towards the light. Meaning as we go on this journey of of our, our faith, we should be able to say things like, you know, there used to be things that I watched, and I felt fine watching those. I don't watch those things anymore. I don't feel good when I watch those things anymore. Now, I watch these sorts of things, or I read these sorts of things, right? There, there are things that I used to say, the, the, the kinds of conversations that would come out of my mouth. And I, I don't do that like I used to. Now I, I talk like this, and I talk about these things. There are certain habits I used to indulge. I don't indulge those anymore. Now I pursue these priorities and these practices. 
So we're not talking about perfection. John is talking about a trajectory. And he's really clear, and this is scary. He's like, if that is not the trajectory of your life, well, then you should wonder if you have fellowship with this God who is like. Look at verse 6 again. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. I mean, you can claim, John uses the word claim a lot in this passage. You can claim anything, (laughs) but the trajectory ought to be one towards the light. And if you don't see any of that trajectory, you should at least wonder, do I really have fellowship with this God who himself is light? Now, if you're still listening at all, (laughs) I imagine this creates some level of discomfort in you. It certainly does in me. I think John wants us to feel a level of discomfort. I think John anticipates that we would feel a level of discomfort, which is why he then, I think, goes on to what he says next. To give us, let me tell you the second way that we live in the light. All right? And here's where the comfort and the goodness comes. First way is we keep his commands, right? But the second way is even when we don't keep his commands, what do we do? We confess to him the ways that we don't keep his commands. Verse 9, very famous verse, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So for the rest of our time, I want to talk about the second way we live in the light, which is the way of confession. I'm moving towards the light. Sometimes I turn towards the darkness. When I do that, what do I do? I confess it. I bring it to God. Uh, And I wish we had time just to have a conversation. I wonder for you, when I use the word confession, like when you just hear the word confession, I wonder what images come into your heart and mind. Like is that, that, are there attractive, does that fill you with, with happy emotions or heavy emotions? And I would guess at least for some of you, there's fairly unattractive uh, images that come to your mind when you hear that word. It feels like a heavy word. Maybe it feels like a guilt-inducing word. If you came out of certain backgrounds, maybe it feels like a very religious word or even a Catholic word, and you have a picture of a confessional or, you know, Hail Marys. Or, you might have a, a series of images when you hear that word. My hope this morning is that when you leave, you have a thoroughly biblical understanding of confession that is anything but heavy, <laughs> but it's actually incredibly freeing and life-giving. And you walk away going, I want to confess every day of my life. I want to live my life in regular confession. That sounds really good to me. All right, so that's my hope is that we can walk into what I think is a biblical picture of what true confession is and what it isn't. All right, so John, this famous verse, talks about confession, but he surrounds it in verse 8 and verse 10 by this acknowledgement repeated that, hey, I know we're not perfect. I know we sin. Look at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Right? So he, he's, he's writing so that we wouldn't sin, but now he's acknowledging, hey, we all sin. And in fact, if we claim to be without sin, there's something wrong. And most scholars think he says that because remember last week I talked about how there was some false teaching that came into um, these churches and was spreading. Most scholars think that part of that false teaching was there's a group of people that were claiming that they had reached a level of Christian perfection. 
Like we have now made it into a, a sinless state where we no longer sin. And, and John wants to say, that's not true. <laughs> right? I mean, if we claim to be without sin, well, he says two things. Um, one is we deceive ourselves. <laughs> John's like, anybody who claims to be without sin um, is just not in touch with the reality of their brokenness. Like, they're just not in touch with who they actually are. And the second thing is, and if we claim to be without sin, we make God to be a liar. Well, how does me claiming to be sinless make God a liar? Well, God's word is that I'm a sinner. <laughs> His word from cover to cover says, yeah, actually, you're not perfect. You're a sinner. And so if I say I'm not, I'm not a sinner, well, then I'm making God out to be a liar. And John's like, yeah, that, that's not in touch with reality. We're all sinners. We all stumble in many ways. I'm so grateful these verses are in here, especially after verse 6 and 7. So my guess is no one in this room falls into the trap of Christian perfectionism. I would guess there's no one here who's walking out thinking, actually, I, I think I am perfect. Okay? I mean, come talk to me afterwards if that's, if that's your thought. So I'm guessing that is not a temptation for us in this room. But what I would say the temptation is, is to do all sorts of things with our sin other than simple confession. That we are all tempted to take the darkness inside of us and, and try to do something other than confess. That's something that we all are tempted towards. And I, I just, I mean, I've already said this, but um, there are so many issues in this room right now. Like, the longer I'm a pastor and I get access into people's lives, the more I realize that people's lives are darker than you assume they are. And that there, there, there are more secret things happening in people's lives, and probably all of our lives, than we would assume from one another. And I want you to just, for a second, like, what are yours? What are those for you? Um, you don't have to share them out loud right now. But like, what are those things that people don't know? Um, your spouse maybe knows, maybe a close friend knows, but, you know, what are those things? We, we carry these things. What are those? Identify them for you. What, what comes to your mind? And we are all tempted to do something with those other than confession. And we come to church, right? We're all here and we, we put our best foot forward, right? We smile and we do our best. But we're tempted to do something with those things other than confession. Uh, what we're tempted to do is we're tempted to hide those things. We're tempted to cover those things, right? We want to keep them secret. They're dark things, and we want to keep them in the darkness. That's what we want to do. And this is the temptation of humanity since the beginning of time, right? Since Adam and Eve, who, who were created in the light of God's presence and got to experience the light of God's presence, right? And then they chose independence, and they sinned against him, and they experienced the effects of that sin, and the first thing they try to do is take that darkness inside of them and cover it up and hide, right? They try to make fig leaves to literally cover themselves, and then they hide behind bushes and trees as God is walking in the cool of a garden. Um, I have this awesome um, children's Bible illustration. Sorry for the cheesiness of it. But I love the perspective of it. There's Adam and Eve, and there's the light of God, and here they are, and they've covered themselves, and they're literally hiding behind bushes and trees, trying to stay in the darkness. And, you know, 
they, they were the first ones to ever try this. So their, their strategy looks, it's pretty overt and obvious. Like, <laughs> it's pretty explicit. You're literally trying to cover yourself up. You're trying to, you're trying to hide behind bushes. But um, thousands of years of human history, and, and we've developed really sophisticated ways of covering and hiding, right? And I want you to think, like, what are your ways? How do you try to cover and hide the stuff in you that you don't want God or people to see? I think some of us um, do that. Um, through, we rationalize our sin. Like, yeah, I did this, but I find all sorts of ways of rationalizing it and making it not, you know, maybe feel as, as bad as maybe it is. Um, we blame others for the darkness inside of us. That's what Adam did, right? He blames God and his wife. Um, we blame our parents. We blame the situation. Um, we, we shift the blame somewhere else. A lot of us, I think, we just try to compartmentalize our lives. And there's this dark part of us. And we're like, I'm going to put that in this box here. And it has this place in my life. But that doesn't really have anything to do with all of this of my life. I'm just going to put that in a nice little compartment. Um, That doesn't work real well for very long. But we tend to do that. Um, Some of us just work really hard to fix it. I'm just going to, if I can fix this thing, then I don't have to hide it. I'm going to fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. Right? What do you do? Some of us do penance. Man, if I blow it, I've got I to gotta just feel real bad for like two weeks. And then I can come to God and show him how bad I feel about my sin. So two weeks of penance, right, and then confession. We do that. And others of us, I think, probably the most common way is I'm just going to look at this part of my life and I'm going to try to make improvements over here. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do this really well, and God will kind of look at the whole body of work of my life, right? And all, all in all, it'll kind of, it'll be all right. Um, simple question, uh, why, do we, um, why do we try to cover and hide this stuff? Um, duh, because we're afraid, <laughs> right? We're afraid. This is what Adam says. Um, Adam, where are you, God says. That's a profound uh, spiritual statement, where are you? Um, God's, uh, Adam's response, I heard you in the garden, and what? I was scared. I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. Right? That's why we hide, of course. We're afraid. We're afraid of being exposed, of the light shining into a part of us, the truth being known, and someone seeing that, God or someone else, and seeing us being seen as we actually are and being found wanting being found deficient, being found unlovable or broken or just thoroughly unimpressive in some way, right? Well, however that is for you. We're afraid. Uh, light is beautiful and light is terrifying because light exposes and we fear being exposed and so we hide and cover. Um, and I know I'm kind of sitting in this for a while, but I think it's important to. Here's the problem <laughs> with hiding and covering. Living and hiding is a terrible way to live long-term. I mean, living and hiding is, um, is to commit yourself to a life of anxiety, a life of fear. It is such a heavy way to live. I mean, to use John's language of confession, living with unconfessed sin is such a heavy, hard way to live your life. To have this thing that stays secret and to, to keep it secret is, is a 
burden. And some of you in this room right now are carrying that burden. And you, you know what that burden feels like. It's not a fun burden to live with. Unconfessed sin is such a burden. Um, I was thinking this week, you know, sin is a bad thing. But actually, our relationship with God can weather lots of sin. In fact, it does every single day, <laughs> right? It's unconfessed sin that becomes this really big problem in our relationship with God. Unconfessed sin is, de- is the devil's playground, okay? The devil is the prince of darkness. And unconfessed secret sin is his playground. Satan doesn't want to just get you to sin. He wants you to sin, and then he wants you to hide and cover that sin. Because in that hidden secret place, that is where he does his best, a.k.a. worst work. Okay, that work of, of guilt and shame uh, and isolation and pulling away from God. That is where he gets at his very best work, those voices of accusation, to pull you away from your father. And so I promise you, living with unconfessed sin is the number one way to lose your intimacy with the father. If you want to lose intimacy with father, just sin a lot and never acknowledge it. Okay? And I promise you over time, you will slowly pull away and you will lose a sense of joy, a sense of freedom, a sense of intimacy with your father. It's like a a human relationship, right? I mean, if you have a good friendship or a marriage, um, uh, those can handle people hurting each other, right? That's okay. Relationships can handle people hurting each other. It's when someone continues to offend someone else and it's never acknowledged. That, uh, if the other person is gracious, you can kind of, kind of keep going, but you, you, you will lose intimacy every time, right? You, you will just kind of pull away from each other. And so that's what Satan wants to do in us. And I was just thinking, you know, imagine if God hadn't stepped into this situation and, uh, and done something about it, right? What if Adam and Eve had just lived the rest of their lives always hiding from the presence of God? What a dark and hard life that would have been. And so fortunately, God steps in. He confronts them. It's painful. He shines the light into their situation. That's painful. There are some consequences that are painful. But God does that to restore the relationship. He does something so beautiful. Remember what he does to, to, to deal with the issue of their exposure? Right? He gives them these animal clothes, these animal skins. He sacrifices animals and gives them these permanent clothes that can cover them, that can cover their exposure and their nakedness so they can stand before him without a sense of guilt and shame. He gives them clothes through this, this sacrifice is what he does. And to turn now to the joy, to the gospel, the good news that, that John is celebrating with us in this co- conversation about confession is, is precisely that, that in Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, We, like Adam and Eve, can be covered with the righteousness of Christ. We can have clothes that are given to us through sacrifice so that we wear now the righteousness of Jesus. Our our nakedness, our our, our shame is no longer exposed, but we are covered. Look at what John says. I'm going to kind of work our way backwards now in our passage. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. Beautiful gospel truth right here. Jesus, he, is the atoning, 
Let's see here. Uh, you know, I'm actually going to do verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So I want to work our way back. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. His sacrifice on the cross makes reconciliation with this God of light possible. He does what is needed so that a God of perfect light and human beings that have lots of darkness can be reconciled. He dies in our place, right? He serves the sentence. He takes on the punishment that is demanded by the the holiness and the perfect justice of God. He's described in verse 1 as the righteous one, right? He is without sin. He has nothing to hide. There is no darkness in him. And when we put our faith in him, as I mentioned, we are clothed with his righteousness. We get to put on our Jesus suits, essentially. I'm going to have Teresa Gaiman. I I said, can I do this to you? She walked in. She's wearing a beautiful, will you stand up for a second? I just love this flowing white gown. She's got her Jesus suit on today. Thank you, young lady. We get to put on... This, our Jesus clothes, we are found in Jesus. God looks at us, thank you. And when he sees us, he now sees us as clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Meaning, this is insane, he has the same posture towards us that he has towards his son. Because we are in his son. Amen? I mean, that's, that is so beautiful. If that's not enough... John says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. And what he's saying there is Jesus not only died for us, but he rose. He now stands in heaven with the Father, and he is our advocate there. The Father and the Son, I don't know how this works exactly, but are watching this play out. And Jesus says, yeah, look at Dave. I know he's making a bunch of bonehead decisions every day. But, but remember, you forgave him because he's, he's clothed in my righteousness. And the father loves to listen to his son. The father says, amen. He is clothed in your righteousness. Which means we do not ever have to hide. We can come out of hiding into the light of God's forgiveness. That's what this famous verse 9 is all about. Let me read it one more time. If we confess our sins, confessing sins is, um, all it is is (laughs) speaking the truth of who we are to God. It is agreeing with God about the truth of ourselves. It's saying, I'm not going to hide. I'm so sick of hiding. I'm sick of trying to fix this. I'm sick of trying to rationalize it. I'm sick of trying to cover it up. I just want to step into the light. I just want to tell you, this is is me. This is the truth. That's all that confession is. It's such a freeing thing to do. If we confess our sins, how does God the Father think about that? Well, here it is. He is faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I'm so glad that verse doesn't end. If we confess our sins, God will look at us and say, sorry. Right? Come back in two weeks when you've got this figured out. Right? No, if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He is faithful to this relationship. He's entered into a covenant. He's not going to abandon us. He's faithful to that covenant. And he's also just. What does justice have to do with forgiveness? Well, here's what it has to do with. 
that sin, whatever sin you're going to confess to God, God already condemned that sin 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's the beauty of the cross. It would be unjust for him to condemn you again for it. It's already been condemned. Justice has been served. And so he is just. He's faithful to that justice. And so now we stand and what we get is forgiveness and purification from our sins. We get to step into the light of God's forgiveness and experience that every single time we confess is a fresh opportunity to experience the forgiveness that we already have in Jesus Christ. Let me leave you with this quote from Mark Deaver. I love this. If you are truly trusting in Christ, you can't confess a sin for which God has not provided forgiveness in Jesus. It's good news. Indeed, if you work at the discipline of confessing your sin, the regular habit, Uh, It should not lead to despair at all. In fact, just the opposite, but rather to rejoicing over the extent of God's love for you in Christ. Every experience of confession is a fresh experience of the gospel. It's a fresh reminder, oh, I live in the grace and mercy of God. I do not stand condemned. I am fully known and I am loved exactly as I am because I'm clothed in Christ. Amen? So there it is, walking in the light. We step out of these deeds of darkness into these deeds of light. And whenever we stumble and fall, we just bring that darkness to God in confession. Continuing together to move, to stumble towards the light. And that is the kind of community I want to be a part of. A community without pretension. A community without um, trying to curate ourselves so perfectly for God and one another. A a community of of broken people stumbling together. towards the light. And so we have an opportunity to do that this morning by celebrating communion. So let me pray for us, and then Mark is going to lead us in communion together. Well, Father, uh, as we've mentioned, uh, <laughs> your children here in this room, we, we have darkness still. There's lots of, uh, we all stumble in many ways. And today, I pray that your spirit would just move in our hearts and minds to be reminded and to experience again the freedom, the forgiveness that you have for us. The freedom of just coming before you as we actually are, not hiding, covering, rationalizing, doing all these, just saying, Lord, this is me. I can't fix this, but I'm confessing it, Lord, and I'm counting on the forgiveness I have in your son. Lord, give us a fresh experience of your goodness, your freedom, your forgiveness, and the wonderful posture of love and approval that you have towards us right now because of your son, Jesus. And may this time of communion truly be that, a time of communion, of fellowship with you and with one another, enjoying the grace that we have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have the opportunity to share this uh, together, uh, communion that is, but also uh, to receive prayer. And um, actually, Tracy and Alan, could you open up those doors back there while we do that? Um, uh, A quick word about prayer. Uh, Do you know uh, we have a whole team of people who long to pray for you? And uh, and Dave and I, this is something that we uh, we've talked about a lot. Uh, that we would we want our 
church family to really grow in our desire to receive prayer. And we've asked the question, how come we don't have more people wanting to receive prayer? And, you know, part of the answer might be what we're talking about, right? Because we really don't want, if we go up to receive prayer, we might be admitting something about ourselves. Like we have some needs. Uh, uh, who knows what the reasons are, but we want to be a community that just is longing to receive prayer. And we have people who are long to pray for you. And so we get to do that today. So during communion, uh, there's going to be people that will be available in the living room uh, back there who would love to come alongside you and pray for you. Also, we have a team of people who pray for you uh, via a prayer email network that we have. Um, uh, Fred Elliott, who's uh, uh, facilitating that for us, is just this wonderful man who uh, is doing such a beautiful job of that. And, uh, and so if you have a prayer, you can contact him. I think uh, there's an email in the bulletin. There should be uh, that you can uh, just provide your prayer request through that, and they uh, will distribute it to that team, and they pray for you that way as well. If you want to be in on that, by the way, to pray for our church family in that way, you can contact him as well. We'd love that group to get bigger and bigger as we have lots of people holding us up in prayer. So um, we would love to love you uh, that way. So communion. Uh, We get to share the Lord's Supper together. And Christ gave us the simple act to, uh, to worship him in memory of him. Remember, Jesus said, do this, do this in memory of me. And we remember because he is the most valuable person in the universe. And we remember because his death is the most important death in history. And this remembering means we call to mind what Christ's death did for us. And David just talked about that. A death that brought reconciliation to us, between us and God, that brought us forgiveness, and that bought us grace. And so, in light of this forgiveness that we have in Christ's death, our response then is to bring the reality of us uh, before him. And we can do that knowing that as we walk up to these tables and we partake of these elements, that we're reminding ourselves not just of the death, but all that we have through that death. And then we can go back and get prayer, and it's amazing and wonderful. And we get to do this uh, in the context of Christian fellowship together. So let me just remind you uh, what our passage says. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's remember together. Let's live in the light together as a church family. Just come on up. We have some time, so you don't have to get up at once if you don't want to. You can just take this in at your seat for a little while and come when it makes sense for you. Uh, We're going to have a little bit of time to do this. Uh, Take a piece of bread. Take a good chunk of bread and dip it into the cup and take it right there. Bring it back to your seat, uh, whatever you want to do. But let's worship together.